following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Today's sermon is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Living in the Vine, based upon Jesus' teaching, I am the vine, you are the branches, during which we've been considering what it means to live in connection with Jesus. Jesus addressed a key aspect of what living as his disciples means in some of the parables that he told, parables that we heard this morning, which are all about a steward who was in charge of his master's funds. Let's be for a moment in the spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One of Jesus' parables appears in two different versions. The Matthew version is called the parable of the talents, and the Luke version is called the parable of the pounds. In the parable, a master is departing on a journey, and before his departure, he entrusts to his servants sums of money. In the version in Luke, the master distributes 10 pounds among 10 servants. The traditional English translation renders the unit of money here in British terms as a pound, but that actually is, is quite misleading since a pound is not worth very much these days, and that's not at all the idea in the parable. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, it says that the master distributed 10 minas to 10 servants, and we are to understand that he gave a mina to each one. A mina was 100 denarii, and a denarius was the day's wage for an average worker. So uh, 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 this one, well, a mina was equivalent to about a third of a year's wages for the average person. It is a significant sum. In the version of the parable in Matthew, the master distributes even larger sums. He gives varying amounts to three servants, and he gives them talents. A talent, in this case, was a sum of money, an extremely large sum, equal to 60 minas, that is 6,000 denarii, which is about 20 years' wages for the average person. In the parable, the sums of money entrusted to the servants represent what God has entrusted to us. God has given us material gifts. God has also given us spiritual gifts, various talents and spiritual qualities that we can utilize in life. It is significant that the English word talent, meaning aptitude or ability, comes directly out of this parable. As people reflected about the parable, the talents, they came to recognize that the talents here represent not only the material resources that God entrusts to us, the talents signify also the spiritual abilities that God awakens within us. The fact that the master in the parable entrusts something to every servant signifies the fact that God gives gifts to everyone. The additional feature in the parable in Matthew whereby the master gives varying amounts to different servants, ties in with the New Testament teaching that God gives different sorts of gifts to different people. As the Apostle Paul said, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given. 
Yet no matter how much any particular servant received, each servant in the parables received a great deal. We have all received much from God in this life. The parable then continues. In the version in Luke, the master gives specific instructions that the servants are to do business with what they have been given. And the implication is the same in the Gospel of Matthew. The servants are to utilize what has been entrusted to them. They are to act as stewards of the master's wealth. Ultimately, the master returns and asks for an accounting from each of the servants. In each parable, the first two servants report that they have invested what they have received and have made a profit. In the version in Luke, the first servant has made 10 minas out of the one mina he received. And the second servant has made five minas out of the one mina he received. In the parable in Matthew, the first servant who received five talents has doubled the investment, making five talents more. And the second servant who received two talents has also doubled the investment, making two talents more. In each case, the master responds with praise and reward. In the parable in Luke, where the master is a nobleman, the reward is that the servants are put in charge of cities. In the parable in Matthew, the master responds with a more general statement, which nevertheless is perhaps the most memorable statement in the parable, where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Then along comes the third servant. In the Gospel of Luke, the servant reports that he has wrapped the mina in a napkin for safekeeping, and he hands the mina back. In the Gospel of Matthew, the servant has buried the mina in, or the talent in the ground and he then hands the talent back to the master. In each case, the master is furious. He rebukes the servant, calling him wicked and lazy. He takes the talent or the mina away from him and orders that the servant be punished. Many people are surprised at this point at the harshness of the master's response, especially because we know that sometimes being cautious with money is a good approach. A while back, when stocks and bonds were at record highs, our church received a very generous estate gift from members who had remembered the church in their will. Our Gifts, Memorials, and Investments Committee, responsible for what to do with that, essentially wrapped that gift in a napkin. They did not put it into stocks. They did not put it into bonds. They instead put it into a cash account, which at the time was yielding nothing. They did so because they felt that the stock and bond markets were highly overextended. And their move was wise because stocks and bonds subsequently plunge. We can praise the committee for taking a prudent approach which preserved the church's capital. But Jesus' parables are not about how to invest your endowments or your IRA. The mina or the talent represent what God has given us in life. And the central idea is that we are to use what we have been given. We are to actively put to use 
both our material and our spiritual gifts, willingly taking risks in this world in order finally to bring profit for the kingdom of God. As it is said in 1 Peter, like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each has received. That, in fact, is the overall philosophy of our Gifts Memorial and Investments Committee. We use the earnings from endowments to, to support church ministries. In the parable, the master is angry with the third servant precisely because he did not make use of what he had been given. Conversely, the master praises the other servants no matter what their particular results were. They were not given specific targets, they reported varying returns, but they were all praised because they had made use of what they had been given in service for their Lord. The scenario in the parable thus corresponds very closely to our spiritual situation in life. God gives each of us various gifts. We have financial resources, we have all sorts of abilities and skills, God gives us the freedom to choose what we will do with those gifts. In the parables, the servants have wide open possibilities for what they will do with what has been entrusted to them. At the same time, God calls us to make use of what we have for the sake of God's kingdom. And the parable indicates that there will one day be an accounting. We will stand like the servants before the Lord. And the basic question to us is, what are you doing? What have you done with what has been entrusted to you? In this respect, the parable is a wake-up call to anyone who thinks that being a Christian means simply to believe in God and to not do anything wrong. Many people today have that idea that the Christian life means being a decent person and avoiding wrongdoing. But that was exactly the approach of the third servant in the parables. He acknowledged the authority of the master, and he attempted, not, he attempted simply not to do anything wrong with what he had. The problem, however, was precisely that he did not do anything. The importance of taking action is likewise at the heart of the other parable we heard this morning, the parable of the shrewd manager, also sometimes called the parable of the dishonest manager. In that story, a rich man accuses his manager of squandering his money, and he tells the manager to get the books in order because he is about to be fired. The manager thus finds himself in a crisis. What is he gonna do when he's out on the street? He comes up with a plan. He calls in the master's debtors one by one, and these were likely tenants who were renting land from the master, and in each case, he reduces their bill. The reductions are substantial. The first debtor owes 100 jugs of olive oil, that is more than 800 gallons, which would be the produce of about 150 olive trees, a sizable debt. The manager tells the debtor to change the bill to reduce the amount he owes to just 50 jugs of olive oil. The cash value of that reduction would have been about 500 denarii, a year and a half worth of wages for the average person. The next debtor owes 100 containers of wheat, 
That is the produce of 100 acres. The manager tells him to reduce his bill to 80 containers. The cash value of that reduction would again have been about 500 denarii. Thus, the manager makes for himself friends, people who will be beholden to him once he is fired. The manager then turns in the doctored books to the master who discovers what has happened. The manager not only was squandering the master's money, but now, at the end, he has cheated the master out of huge sums. The master cannot reverse what the manager has done because the tenants now have new revised legal documents showing their billing in hand, nor can the master very easily denounce the manager because the tenants, the debtors, very likely assumed that the manager had the master's approval for those reductions, and very likely at this moment, they were praising the master for being one of the most generous people in the district. The master could only marvel at the cleverness of the manager. So what finally does the master do? Verse eight says that the master praises the manager for his shrewdness, and thus ends the parable. At this point, people often think, wait a minute, here we have a story about a guy who cooks the books twice. He's a cheat. And the end of the story is that he's commended by the guy that he cheated? What kind of a story is that? The parable is a prime example of how Jesus often told parables with shock endings designed to spur us into new insight and action. Neither the dishonest manager nor the rich master in the parable are being offered here as moral examples. Listening to a parable like this is rather like watching a, a play or a movie. It may be that none of the characters are worthy of emulation, yet the story as a whole may make a lasting impression upon us. The story of the shrewd manager, for all its perplexing strangeness, is designed to make a lasting impression. The key to the story and the insight that Jesus is seeking to convey is given to us by Jesus at the end, as he says, for the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. Consider again the situation of the dishonest manager. He faces a huge dilemma. He's in big trouble. He's about to be canned. He does not, however, just give up, nor does he ignore his situation. Rather, he takes creative and resolute action. He applies himself wholeheartedly and decisively, albeit in a somewhat twisted fashion, in order to create for himself some kind of positive future. He is praised then at the end by the master, who likely was something of a rascal himself, for his shrewdness, for his decisive and clever action in the face of a crisis. Such shrewd behavior is often seen in the worldly dealings of people in our time. The story is told of an American textile buyer who was in Korea speaking at a luncheon to a group of textile producers. During the speech, he told a rather lengthy anecdote which was supposed to be funny, but which for the Korean audience was probably going to miss the mark. The Korean translator rendered the whole thing into very few words in Korean, at which point the audience burst 
into laughter and thunderous applause. The American buyer left the luncheon quite pleased with his reception. Afterwards, an American observer in the audience approached the Korean translator and said, you know, people seem to really like the story that that speaker told, but I was just curious about something. I don't know Korean, but how did you manage to render that long story into so few words in Korean? The translator said, oh, it was easy. I just said, this man with a big checkbook has just told a funny story. Respond as you think appropriate. People are often shrewd in their dealings in this world. They often apply themselves with great imagination and energy, like the man in the parable, in order to attain their goals. But while it is often the case that the children of this age, that is, people who live according to worldly values, will often devote themselves with great resourcefulness to their aims, Jesus laments that this is not always so with the children of light. People who profess belief in God do not always show the same kind of diligence when it comes to spiritual commitments. When we look at the world around us, we see people applying themselves with great intensity to their business dealings, their houses, their yards, their, their hobbies, their entertainments. Do believers apply themselves with the same intensity toward the purposes of God. The message of the parable in short is that if even such a dishonest manager would apply himself with diligence and ingenuity to prepare for his earthly future, how much more should we as Jesus' disciples apply ourselves with diligence fervor and creative energy to prepare for our eternal future. The manager in the parable knew that he had only fleeting control over the assets at his disposal. He quickly took action to safeguard his near-term destiny. We have only fleeting control over the assets at our disposal. The parable is a summons to us to take decisive spiritual action with a view toward our eternal destiny. The story is told of a man who encountered a farmer sitting on the broken down front porch of his shack one day in July. The man asked the farmer, how's your cotton coming? Ain't got none, was the answer. Didn't plant none, afraid of the boll weevil. Uh, well, the man said, uh, how's your corn? Didn't plant none, said the farmer, afraid of corn borers. Well, um, how about your potatoes, the man asked. Ain't got none, said the farmer, scared of tater bugs. Well, the man said, what did you plant? Nothing, said the farmer. I just played it safe. There are a lot of people today who are not doing any spiritual planting. But of course, to do nothing, to sit in spiritual inaction, is not really to play it safe. One of the key images in our parable is that the man, when threatened with ruin, 
did not simply give up and he did not just continue with business as usual, but he acted resolutely. Jesus is calling us likewise to spiritual action. We are called to respond to the gospel, to commit ourselves to Christ, to become creatively engaged in the work of the kingdom of God. Now this connects, of course, with the ending of the first two parables, where the servants are commended who made active use of their gifts. Sometimes people are perplexed by the concluding statement in those parables, where Jesus said, to all who have will more be given and they will have abundance, but from those who have not, even what they have will be taken away. At first reading, this sounds terrible, it sounds unfair, but it is simply a description of what naturally happens if we do not use the gifts that we have. When I was in high school, I played cornet, but our music leaders wisely do not ask me to play that instrument today. I, I have not used that talent for years and I have completely lost it. There's a principle here that is true in a larger sense. If we neglect to use our spiritual gifts, our spiritual resources shrink. But if we use God's gifts and share of ourselves, our spiritual blessings grow. This is part of what it means to live in the vine, to so connect ourselves with Christ and to so open ourselves to his life-giving power that we share in the growth of God's kingdom and abundantly bear fruit. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks for how you have bestowed such wondrous gifts upon us. You have blessed us in so many ways. We thank you that through Jesus, you call us today to follow as your disciples, to make use of those gifts for the sake of your kingdom. Lead us, Lord, as we would respond in faith, as we indeed live in connection with the vine, so that the power of your Holy Spirit can flow in us and continue to strengthen and guide us that we may join today in the purposes of your kingdom. We thank you that you draw us into the life of your church so that joined with each other, we can make a far greater impact in the world. We do reach out to persons in times of need. We pray for those who are sick in our church and pray especially this morning for Greg Curtin. And we pray for those who are mourning, lifting especially today, the family and friends of, of Jim Sawyer and the family and friends of Susan Hatch praying for your comfort and the assurance of your promises. We thank you for how we are connected with the larger church family of the United Methodist Church. We lift up this morning our fellow United Methodists at the Medina United Methodist Church. And we give thanks for how in union with one another we can indeed make a real impact on our world today. Guide us, O oh Lord, as we would respond with the gifts that you've bestowed upon us as we share in the life and work of your everlasting kingdom that, Lord, we may indeed hear those words of Jesus for us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.